It's the start of hour number two. Welcome back, everybody. Steve Kaplowitz with you here on Sports Talk. And, man, we are excited about our next guest who's uh, joining us on our phone lines right now. Zubin Mahenti, uh, who you see so many times on ESPN Sports Center, will now have a permanent morning show radio gig beginning on the 17th of this month. Uh, as he is going to join a couple of uh, great people, Jay Will and uh, also Keyshawn on ESPN Radio, and he joins us here to begin our second hour of the program. Zubin, welcome to El Paso. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And and I know that uh, it's got to be exciting news for you, especially um, since you've spent so much of your professional career um, behind uh, the camera, on actually in front of the camera i should say in television and now you're going to go behind the mic in radio so let's talk a little bit about the opportunity you've spent some time working at espn radio but now getting this first full-time opportunity what's it like for you it's definitely different steve just from the standpoint of when you're used to doing television um, we're just reacting to games, and I guess in this particular scenario, instead of reacting to what I see, which is what I've been doing for the last 20 years and nine at ESPN, I'll be reacting to what I hear. Now, technically, we are a TV radio simulcast, so obviously you can watch and or listen, but I would presume the majority of people that are going to be tuning in and consuming this will be listening in some way, shape, or form. So instead of having the last word on ESPN, as we generally do before we wrap it up in all the West Coast games, uh, I guess this time around it'll be getting the first word the next day. So it's a little bit of a different shift. Love radio. I grew up uh, in New Jersey right in the shadow of the country's first sports talk radio station, WSAM. I used to listen as a kid. I'm 42 now, and I used to love listening to, you know, all the big voices out there. And, you know, my career just kind of took me towards TV, and I still think it's going to be a TV show in many ways um in terms of what i feel comfortable with but i've loved the sports talk genre for a long time been around it and obviously you know it's gone from one place in new york to all over the country including your market and pretty much everywhere you look i mean towns of every size seemingly have multiple sports talk radio stations it just shows that uh the genre has no appetite it's an insatiable i mean you, you know this sports fans have an insatiable appetite to talk sports and um we've got a great opportunity to do it here with the former number one overall pick in the nfl and a number two overall pick in the NBA. And for those that are too young, I mean, you know, you and I can both remember Key playing. But, you know, next year will be 25 years. 25 years since he was the number one overall pick. Jay's 38. So different sports, different guys, different eras, different perspectives. Key's a little more forceful. Jay's a little more thoughtful. Uh, but I think it'll be a good mix. I still have my Keyshawn Johnson Jets jersey, which, by the way, was my first authentic uh, Jess jersey that I went and bought when I was vacationing uh, in New York, where I'm originally from, uh, about 20 years ago. So yes, uh, I'm very familiar with Keyshawn as a player and uh, as an analyst, and and also uh, Jay Williams. I like the mix, and it makes me wonder: Had you approached ESPN about eventually getting into radio full time, or did they come to you? Uh, they came to me. I love doing Sports Center, so I'm 42 years old as I mentioned. So I remember, I don't know if this is a big deal for you, but like I remember distinctly, uh, and a younger listener is going to probably, their head will spin when they hear this, but I mean, I remember getting cable in the house, like how big of a deal that was when like the cable guy showed up to install cable in our house. Now obviously everybody's streaming and this, that, whatever. But, you know, it was a great opportunity. We'd get cable and there's Kenny Bain, Steve Levy, Linda Cohn, Keith Olbermann, John Anderson, John Bucci all of these guys, Chris Berman, all these guys that I've had an opportunity to 
share a set with, share a studio with over the years. Um, and that was amazing for me as a kid to watch those folks on TV and to sit there and eventually work alongside them, call them a colleague, which is crazy. So I was very, very happy working on SportsCenter. I, I loved working right after the games. There's nothing like, let's go here, let's get some analysis. You never know what's going to happen. I, I just love working after the game. So I was very pleased with what I was doing and the folks that I was doing it with. Uh, but when they came with the opportunity and, and the two guys that they mentioned and the fact that we could talk for four hours a day um, and we could have the first word, if you will, in sports, at least at ESPN, I thought that was a great opportunity and one that was just uh, too good to pass up. Zubin Mahenti with us uh, here on Sports Talk as we continue. Now, you mentioned a moment ago, growing up listening to the fan uh, when you were a kid and, and all the way up from there, um, sports radio has changed. It, it's evolved. And uh, social media has allowed everybody to have uh, instantaneous voices where it used to be just uh, telephone calls and telephone comments years ago. Now people can can get in on Twitter and, and so many other forms of social media and, and sports now break simultaneous where we used to wait for the stories on the wire to come where we would get our updates. And, and we've seen how it's evolved. How about you and, and your thoughts, uh, you know, helping to, to be, uh, you know, one third of, of a new morning show with two uh, former uh, star athletes? How do you plan on, on essentially um, evolving as a, an ESPN morning show? Well, I think the first thing is pace. I think for us, that's a very insidery radio term, but uh, people are moving faster than ever before. They're getting their kids off to school. For kids that are going back to school, you're trying to get to work, trying to do this, trying to do that. And I think we want to keep pace with you. So we're going to keep the show moving. Uh, my job is to get the best out of these two guys, have them tell their stories about when they played. As you know, radio is all about storytelling. Uh, but keep the pace high. You know, let's do a lot of stories, a lot of things people are interested in. I mean, we've got three of the four major sports back, September 10th, hopefully the NFL, August 29th, college football. So that'll be five different sports. And then college basketball in November. So whatever's big. We want to continue to talk about it, do it quickly. Obviously, I think it goes without saying that this is a pretty unique combination of folks. You don't see three people that look like this generally anywhere on Sports Talk Radio. <laughs> but it's one of those things where I just think it will be a different perspective. Um, there will be a lot of energy. And I think having two guys that are that different with Key being a little forceful, blunt, visceral, honest, direct, right at you. Jay's a little more thoughtful. So I think that's going to be a good mix, and you kind of combo those two uh, together. And uh, I don't want to shoehorn Key into just football. I think he's a fan of everything. He's a big NBA guy, personally, having worked in our Los Angeles affiliate, obviously with the Lakers and the Clippers, both angling for the uh, NBA Finals, trying to win the West. And Jay doesn't want to be – the first time I talked to Jay, after we had gotten the job, the first thing he said to me was, I'm more than just a ball player. So don't think about me as just a basketball player, college hoops in the NBA um, you know, think about me as just a sports fan like anybody else. So I think three people also makes for a little bit more excitement, more views, more opinions, as opposed to a couple guys going back and forth, even though that generally is the formula at a lot of places or sometimes people even, people even going solo. But three is rarely done. It's been done. It's rarely done. But I think it has a chance to work. Absolutely. And it's funny because, you know, when you mentioned your background, you spent time in Denver, New Jersey, um, even uh, Des Moines, Iowa, uh, prior to coming to ESPN uh, less than 10 years ago as a studio anchor. So um, is there a sport for you that you follow more than anything else? Or for the most part, hey, if you're an ESPN Sports Center anchor, you follow it all. You follow it all pretty much equally because um, you cover so many different things on a nightly basis. 
Yeah, I guess that's the, the default answer. I'm a big college sports guy. I love college football and college basketball. I think we'll probably talk a lot of college football on this show. NFL will be number one. That just our research tends to indicate, and, and in most markets, even in a market where you don't have an NFL team or you have a regional team or a team in the state that you root for, and I'm sure that's the case with you guys, um, you know, the NFL is just king. So we got it. That's why we really need football back. I think the fans want it back, but it's also something people are jonesing to talk about. Um, and for me, I do love college sports, but I understand that, you know, the NFL is probably going to be the number one thing. On Sports Center, you're right. We do touch a little bit of everything. I always tell people when you work at ESPN, if you work there for one calendar year, Sports Center is probably the best place to be because, yeah, the NFL is big during the season and baseball is big during its season. But if you're on Sports Center, you know, in January, you're talking NFL playoffs. In February, you're getting ready for spring training in a normal year. March Madness. The Masters will be back in April. The NBA playoffs are going April, May, June. Baseball dominates June, July. Back to training camp in August. Football, September, October. College hoops starts again in November. And then we're more NFL and into the conference championship games in December. So if you spend one year, calendar year at ESPN, you'll experience all of those things. Are we going to treat baseball like a huge story today? No, probably not. But when it gets to the World Series and baseball has all the attention, it'll be as big as it is. So when I guess the best way to say it is when an individual sport hits its crescendo moment, World Series, Stanley Cup Final, NCAA Final Four, college football playoffs, the Super Bowl, Wimbledon, whatever the Kentucky Derby, whatever the event is in a given sport, when that sport hits its crescendo, uh, sports centers all over it, and that's why I'll probably miss working on it because when something got to its apex, we were always there. Zubin Mahenti, who is a part of the Keyshawn J and Zubin Morning Show, that'll air from uh, four to eight a.m. in El Paso each and every morning, live on six hundred ESPN El Paso, joins us uh, here on Sports Talk as we continue. Now you're getting thrown into the the morning radio mix with Keyshawn and Jay during an unprecedented time. Um, we've got uh, we're still very much right now in the middle of the pandemic. Um, we are also wondering. Will we get through a football season, whether it's high school, college, or the NFL? Uh, We've seen delays. We've seen modified schedules. We're still seeing teams that are trying to formulate their schedules in college as we speak, Zubin. So really, it's an unprecedented time. And you mentioned those times of year and and, and sports that's happening. And this year, it's almost like we've got to throw it all out the window because we don't know what's going to happen over the next 12 months. Yeah, I think high school is going to be definitely more based on where you live. I think colleges can make decisions based on the league. I mean, look at the Big Ten. The Big Ten stretches from New Jersey to Nebraska or Maryland to Nebraska. The Big 12 stretches from Texas and the Mid Plains all the way to West Virginia. So those are going to have to be made more regionally and by the conference in and of itself, depending on what their TV rights are and how badly they need to play. High school football, I think, is going to be a complete – it's like, you know, Tip O'Neill, the old politician, used to say all politics is local – And in many ways, all sports is local, as you guys know, in Sports Talk Radio. But I think for high school football, it has to be determined, honestly, on a county-by-county, school-by-school basis. I think the other sports are more blanket decisions. Either the SEC is going to play or it's not. I don't think some teams are going to play and others aren't if there happens to be some sort of further outbreak. I think in some ways, they're all in it together for one. The 14 SEC teams, the 10 Big 12 teams, the 14 Big 10 teams, the 12 Pac-12 teams, all that sort of stuff. Notre Dame joining with the ACC. So I think they'll make decisions that are best for them. It'll be tough for the college football playoff committee to evaluate it because everybody's kind of looking at a different set. It's not like everybody's playing uniform games in normal seasons, but this is just a weird way to evaluate 
schools across the country, but obviously if we're playing, we're going to crown a champion. So it'll be interesting to see what the committee does there. Uh, the NFL, obviously, of, of the four sports, they are the most hell-bent of playing of any sport. So if you're telling me the other three are going on right now and have been since August 1, all three sports with baseball teetering, uh, I would tell you that the NFL wants to play more than any of those three. So if those three are playing, the NFL is definitely, in my mind, uh, going to play. But I think as it comes to your local community in high school, that could just be a case-by-case basis, whereas I think the others are going to have more of a macro set. I'm agreeing with you on that one. I just We're all wondering right now, once college figures everything out in the season, let's just say the season gets started sometime in mid-September, um, and, and this is going to be, again, uh, you know, the, uh, the million-dollar question. Will they be able to get through the season without pushing the pause button um, or, or, or perhaps having to cancel out? And that's going to be something we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, 10 games in 15 weeks. If that's the way they're trying to plan this, um, then I think you're giving yourself a shot. There's nobody that can guarantee you, uh, not even Dr. Redfield or the CDC or anybody like that, there's nobody can guarantee you that the virus will be better today, for example, as we're talking, than it will be on September 26th when the SEC is rare and ready to play their games, or September 12th when other leagues are getting ready to play their games. So you're in a situation where you look at it and say, yeah, we're pushing things back. We could push the conference championship games back. We could give ourselves wiggle room. Again, 10 in 15 weeks, that gives you a chance to have a couple of different outbreaks if there happens to be. If your team is to sit twice for two weeks, you still have those two weeks twice plus another week. Baseball, they learn from baseball. Baseball tried to do 60 games in 66 days. It's not practical. Obviously, baseball can't do a bubble. Um, but when they saw the 60 and 66 wasn't going to work, and then, then they might go to win percentage, and then it gets really sloppy. Look, baseball wasn't set up to have a great season anyway. If somebody hit 406 this year, I don't think they're going to call him Ted Williams, right? I mean, it is what it is. But I think it's one of those situations where with college football, they're giving themselves plenty of wiggle room, the opportunity to move back to conference championship games, which are critical for economic drivers, even though there may not be many fans there. It's a gigantic moneymaker for CBS or ESPN or Fox or whoever is airing these conference championship games, ABC. Um, so I like the way college football is doing it, but they are just assuming that as time goes on, the virus will affect less and less people but the reality is there's nobody that can guarantee that's the case. Zubin, we're excited for you. Um, this has been a lot of fun. We're looking forward to uh, the 17th. It can't come quick enough. And uh, can't wait to, to hear the show with, uh, with you and Keyshawn and Jay. And uh, look forward to the next time we get an opportunity to have you back on the program. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Zubin Mahenti, folks, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Let's go to Charlie One for traffic and then plenty more as hour number two continues here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Time once again for story time with Tim Haggerty, voice of the El Paso Chihuahuas, as we wrap up another great week here on Sports Talk. Now, if you were paying attention to last week's story time, which involved ping pong balls being drawn from a cowboy hat, At the very end of the conversation, I accidentally teased the subject of this week's story time. So without any further ado, let's send it back to Tim Haggerty and uh, find out exactly what uh, this week's edition of Story Time is all about. Steve, this week's story is about rock, paper, scissors. Some people call it paper, rock, scissors or Rochambeau. I was always a rock, paper, scissors guy. No matter what you call it, it's an iconic game. And it once settled a court case in Florida. In 2006, an Orlando judge, Gregory Presnell, was so frustrated by these two attorneys 
They were constantly bickering at each other. The disagreement went on for days about how to take a statement from a witness in an insurance claim case they were battling over, that he ordered the lawyers to meet at a neutral site at a very specific time and settle the case in a rock-paper-scissors showdown. Many people thought this was a joke, but the judge was not joking. One person who took it seriously was the then co-commissioner of the USA Rock-Paper-Scissors League, who called it, quote, a positive moment for the world. And that gentleman offered to fly down to Florida to serve as the referee because he had concerns about the rules. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I always played rock-paper-scissors-shoot, so you'd hit three times and then deliver your choice. Uh, but yes. this particular organization was very concerned that this massive moment for the rock-paper-scissors community uh, had to be held officially. So they did this, and this actually decided the case. The lawyers understandably thought it was some sort of joke, to which the judge said, if you don't like the result, you can appeal. Um, but back in 2006, this made some national headlines, and it was official and everything. You know, the judge said, if you don't want to do this, if you don't want to meet at this neutral site, then I will order you to the courthouse, and we will do the rock-paper-scissors matchup here. All right. Now, a lot to, to, to talk about with this. Uh, first off, do we know if this rock-paper-scissors uh, matchup was televised either by Court TV or by C-SPAN back in the day? No. However, it did get some airtime on A&E because A&E airs the annual rock-paper-scissors national championship, which, by the way, you can win $50,000 in if you win. And they ran a clip of it during their championship broadcast. So it received some national airtime there and, of course, you know, was a joking headline across the country on some other telecasts. Do we know how the case was decided? Which was it? Did Rock win, Paper win, or Scissors win? Do we know what was the deciding uh, you know, factor? The articles I saw didn't specify that. My understanding is Rock, Paper, Scissors, the championship tournaments they have, are very competitive in which you run gambits. So it's like you, you line up three in a row. So you know before you're three that I'm going to go rock, paper, rock. Um, and then perhaps you know something about your opponent, and they're strategizing. So my understanding is in the rock, paper, scissors community, it's not just like one session. I mean, you're, you're going through a series here. Got it. Now, Adrian, um, I'm sure you've, uh, like so many of us, played rock, paper, scissors over the years. Um it sounds crazy. I wonder if the federal judge who made this decision was a huge fan and always wanted to figure out a way to incorporate uh, rock, paper, scissors into a case. Yeah, that's what I was thinking is is maybe this judge was just a big fan of rock, paper, scissors. My question is, I, I, this sounds ridiculous right now, but my, my question is, what happens uh, once they do rock, paper, scissors? Do they go rock, paper, scissors and then throw out their sign or do they go rock, paper, scissors, go or shoot? Because there's a big difference and that could have been a legal dispute in itself right there. I mean, both sides and parties yeah. could have said, hey, well, what are we going to go? Rock, paper, scissors, go or just rock, paper, scissors? scissors and then you flash out which whatever you're going to throw out there i don't know if you guys know this i just learned this that there's actually a fourth option in rock paper scissors 
Um, if you read about the rock, paper, scissors community, evidently, you can throw fire. It's like if you take your four fingers, hold them up, and wiggle them back and forth. And fire beats rock, paper, and scissors. But the catch is, you can only throw fire once in your lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> now, there is so a... you'd have to throw it then yeah. if you're that lawyer, right? <laughs> That is brutal. I, I, no word on if fire was involved during this particular no. strategy, right? No. All right. Now there's That's a book. Called, yeah, there's a book at Hags called the Official Rock Paper Scissors Strategy Guide. Okay, and according to the book, early Homo sapiens played a predecessor game about fifty thousand BC to resolve food and mating disputes. Now, the game only involved a rock. Because scissors weren't invented until 6th century Italy. But apparently the thrower tried to place the fist rock on the catcher's body while the catcher tried to avoid this by positioning his hand to catch the rock. And after switching positions, the thrower who placed the most rocks on the catcher's body won the game to dis- you know to resolve those... Food and mating disputes. Now, when it says mating disputes, I don't know what that means. That could mean a lot of different things. You'll have to use your own imagination. But apparently, this game's been going on all the way from 50,000 B.C. till now. It feels like had they played traditional rock, paper, scissors, that'd be less painful than actually throwing rocks at people. And it feels like even back in the day before scissors, there'd be an easier way to settle these disputes. Um. I have a lot to unravel with that. How do, how do they? How do we know this from 50,000 BC? I mean, are they, are they writing hieroglyphics about rock, paper, scissors on the wall? Apparently so. Um, Apparently so. Yeah. Maybe they have. Maybe that's exactly what they have. Hieroglyphics with people throwing a rock, and you see it land on a body. Who knows what could have happened? But apparently, that's the story from the official rock, paper, scissors strategy guide, which, by the way, is available at Amazon.com. So, how do you like that? I am. I'm not saying this sarcastically. I am curious to what that book includes, what type of psychological things they're teaching you how to win rock, paper, scissors. One thing I saw in my research for today's segment is that there's a phrase, rock is for rookies. So if you're playing rock, paper, scissors with somebody, and it's obvious that this person does not play on a regular basis, it just comes up, that apparently the studies show they're most likely to throw rock. So if you're playing somebody who's inexperienced at rock, paper, scissors, on your first throw, throw paper, you'll win more often than not. Ah, I like that. I, I, I like to go scissors, maybe because you know, scissors covers paper or cuts paper. That's usually what I like to do. That's, that's my first go-to in rock, paper, scissors. How about you, Adrian? What do you like to do? I'm a paper guy because I think that's a that kind of throws people off at times. And I think sometimes everybody gets a little aggressive and tries to go rock right away. So I, I throw the the paper as kind of a, a switch up. But I, I got something else for you guys. So so uh, right now I'm doing a lot of research on this, and I have seen that a lot of legal communities and blogs constantly reference this. I wonder I, when I was when I was deaf when I was uh, back in college. Actually, I took a lot of pre law classes, even took my 
LSAT and uh, worked at a law firm for four years. And I remember that you would get these massive books that would always reference cases uh, that happened in previous uh, previous years or, or whatever, and they would always do that. I was wondering if there is any reference to this case in any kind of legal textbook, and if it still is a big uh, talking point among different legal classes. Well, you should call your old lawyer buddies, see if they've heard of it. I just can't believe that you guys just revealed your tendencies on what you throw when you play rock, paper, scissors. I hope you don't have any mating disputes this weekend. Me too. Um, the only dispute that will lead to a rock, paper, scissors battle will be with my uh, eight-year-old. And luckily, he's probably not listening to this segment, so I think I'm in pretty good shape. <laughs> and, and I'm sure as your son gets older, you will also, um, you will also be doing the same thing. It would not surprise you should, me. Uh, you should teach your son the wisdom of fire and, and teach him, save it for the right time. You can only throw it once in your lifetime. Make sure it's worth uh, it. That's hilarious. You know what? He'll take me literally and try to do it. That's the scary thing. So you got to be careful when, when you come you know, to that kind of uh, wisdom uh, or lack thereof. All right, Hags, it's been another terrific week of story time. We are off next week. We are actually taking a vacation for the first time in God knows how long with this radio show. So we will be off next week, which means we will be doing this again with you two weeks from now. And as you might imagine, I cannot wait to find out what our next story time will be. Well, thank you. I can't wait either. He's Tim Haggerty. For Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. We'll do it again with you um, a week from Monday, folks, when we come back to Sports Talk. Until then, enjoy ESPN Radio, everyone, and uh, we will talk to you in a few weeks, 4 o'clock on Sports Talk. Have a great weekend, everybody.